fixed to Children's Church. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Now, if you're using one of the chair Bibles located in front of you, it's going to be on page 981. We've talked about, as we've gone through the book of Philippians, this, this theme of joy that, that runs through almost every single passage of the book of Philippians. And one thing that the Bible is very clear about is that joy comes through having a real relationship with God. You cannot have enduring, lasting joy without a relationship with the God who created you and made this world. Let me give you a couple examples in Scripture that that show this theme to be true. First of all, Nehemiah 8, 8, verse 10. At the end of this verse, it says, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's His joy. It's the joy of the Lord. He's the one who gives it. So if you want it, you have to get it from him. Psalm 149, verse 2 says, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. That God as the God who created everyone. So everyone must get their joy from him because we are his creation. Isaiah 35, 10 says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That God, in saving us through his son Jesus, offers joy, but it is only through that relationship that we can have joy. And finally, Psalm 64, verse 10, Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. That God, as our protector and provider, is a source of joy. And he is the only one who can ultimately provide and protect us. So then the next question is this. If joy is only available through relationship with Jesus, or through relationship with God... How can we have a relationship with God? I mean, it's a logical question. If if God is the only source of joy, how do we have that relationship by which we can receive joy? Think of it like a bridge. If you want to picture Deception Pass Bridge so you can picture some of the scenery, that's great. Go ahead. So picture Deception Pass, and you need a bridge to get across. This is obvious. You get two choices. One bridge is the one that is currently there, made with steel and concrete and made by professionals. Your other choice is a bridge over Deception Pass made with Legos by toddlers. (laughs) So the question, and I'm not an engineer, so you'll have to speak to one of our engineers after this about this, but... Which one is going to work? And obviously, the one with the better material, 
made by professionals would work much better than one made with Legos by, by preschoolers. So here's what the Bible tells us. The bridge that will work, the bridge that will not fail to get you from one side to the other is Jesus Christ. And I want to show you this morning as we read from Philippians that we can have joy, real, deep, enduring joy through a relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So look, if you're following along in your outline, there are a big idea. We can have enduring joy from a real relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So to show us that today, as we look at this passage, Paul is going to present the two ways, the two bridges, the bridge of Legos and the bridge of steel and concrete. And so let's look first at verses 1 to 6, where we have no confidence in myself. Let's start at verse 1 there. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. We see this repetition of the command to be joyful. That Paul is saying to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this. this, I think this is interesting. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Pretty much what he's saying here is, you know what I'm about to say, but you need to hear it again because repetition is the mother of all learning. And how much, especially if we've, we've had a relationship with Jesus for a while, how much of what we hear in preaching and teaching is reminding us of what we already know? And Paul says, guess what? No problem. I don't have a problem repeating myself because it's no trouble to me. He's like, I got nothing better to do. I can just talk some more. That's how you know Paul was a preacher. He had nothing better to do, so he just talks a little more. Um, And it's safe for you. We need, even if we have been believers for decades... We need to hear the gospel truth again and again. Once you believe in Jesus, that doesn't mean you need to stop hearing the message of Jesus. Because we need to look out. It's safe for you because look out. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dog's Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who's he talking about? He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. But then he says, look out. Warning, warning, warning. The reference there to evildoers, to those who mutilate the flesh, are false teachers who have infiltrated the church. And here's a summary of what they believed. 
They believe that to be a Christian, you had to first become a Jew first, and then you could be a real Christian. And this was symbolized through the act of they thought it was necessary for someone who became a believer to then be circumcised and to go through this rite that the Jewish people were given in the Old Testament. Now here's the problem with that. Because here's, there's some confusion here. Sometimes we think, well, I guess the Old Testament isn't as good. No, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is they were saying it was Jesus plus the action of circumcision that saved you. Like if you just believe in Jesus, that wasn't good enough. And so they were adding to the gospel. They were adding requirements. Because here's what we believe, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and when you place your faith in him, that is all you need for your sins to be forgiven and for you to have the hope of eternal life. You don't need to do this extra action. But on top of that, Paul says that that they don't even understand what circumcision really is. Let me give you a phrase that will help you to understand a lot of what's written in your Old Testament. That many things in the Old Testament law are physical reminders of a spiritual truth. They are physical, visible actions that represent an inner truth or reality. So, to understand what circumcision meant when God gave the command, we need to look back into our Bible. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Okay, this is the fifth book of the Bible, so this is pretty soon after the command to do circumcision was given. Listen to Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Now, I'm not going to get into the anatomy of this, but he's not saying cut your heart. He's not saying take a scalpel and just slice off a part of your heart there. That misses the point. The point is, is that even back in the book of Deuteronomy, where God is still giving out laws, the action of circumcision was always meant as a physical action that represented a heart that placed its trust in Jesus, in God. And so my obedience as a Jew was an act of love and faith to the God who created me and saved me. To not understand that, to think that there's something magic about this action is to merely be a mutilator of the flesh. Look back at verse 2. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. All they're doing is cutting themselves because they don't get it. They don't get that it's an action that demonstrates faith, not some magical action that saves you. And so all they are 
are injuring themselves. And they're not doing themselves any good. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We are God's covenant people. Why? Why is Paul and the Philippian church God's covenant people and not these people who are telling them all to get circumcised? For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean? God's true people do not think that they can do any action that will make them good enough to be saved. God's people have no confidence in themselves to be good enough to be in a relationship with a pure, perfectly holy God. God's true people recognize that they only have a relationship with God through the Spirit, and we receive the Spirit as a gift from Jesus Christ. And so I have no confidence that I can do some magical action, some magical dance that will make me good with God. So I have no confidence in myself. You can never do enough good things to be in a right relationship with a holy God. But why believe Paul? Because these other teachers are saying you need to be circumcised. You need to do all these ceremonial laws to be in a right relationship with God. Why should we believe Paul instead of everybody else? Look at verses 4 to 6. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, so why should we believe Paul? Because Paul, before believing in Jesus, was the best Jew there ever was. He was the best at being Jewish. He, he, was, he was better than everybody else. And so if anyone could be good enough, it would have been him. Look at his resume in verses 5 to 6. This is, this is Paul's credentials. This is saying, okay, you, you know, let's dance. You say that you understand... <laughs> What it means to follow God. Well, let's, let's see what you got. Here's what I've got. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, his parents followed the law exactly right. As, a, as being born a Jewish boy, he needed to have been circumcised on the eighth day. So they followed that check. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, there was no doubting that he came from the original tribe. He knew his lineage. There was no, he was pure Jewish. Okay, so he could even trace his lineage back to the beginning. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew what it meant to be a Jew. And he was great at it. As to the law of Pharisee, he was a part of sort of the political party, the Jewish political party that was known for their strictness. They were the ones who were good at keeping the law. And he was one of them, card-carrying member. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was so passionate about his beliefs that he persecuted other people. He dedicated his life to eradicating those who disagreed with him. So he's got plenty of passion. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He dotted his I's and he crossed his T's better than any of his peers. But this guy, this guy who was the best at being religious, at following the rules, knew it wasn't good enough. You cannot. If, if Paul can't be, then I can't be and you can't be because there's no way we could measure up to Paul. Like, we can't even beat him. And, and if he says he's out of luck, then if we can't even beat him, then we're definitely out of luck. So how does Paul have joy? Because he's obviously failed. I mean, he says right there, I I have no confidence in myself. Of anyone who should have confidence, it, it was him. So what are we to do? We have no confidence in ourselves, but we have second in your outline there, all confidence in Christ. You can't be good enough to create joy in your life but the good news is, is you don't have to. We have no confidence in ourselves, but all confidence in Christ. Look at verses 7 to 8. But whatever gain I had, okay, referring back to that resume there. Whatever gain I had, whatever status I achieved, whatever honor among my peers I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything I did compared to Jesus is worthless. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Jesus is so great that everything else looks worthless in comparison. It's comparing the dollar in my pocket to the national debt. It's nothing. Every attempt to earn the favor of God is worthless compared 
to knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. Garbage. Everything I've done, all the honor I have achieved, all the status I had among my peers is garbage compared to Jesus. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Don't let the lesser things prevent you from having a relationship with Jesus. What's our problem? So it's, a, it's sort of a problem of idolatry. We raise up that which is not as good and put it in the place of Jesus. Paul's saying, look at my resume. It's impressive, but guess what? Compared to Jesus, it's worthless. And I would get rid of all of my resume to keep it from preventing me of having a relationship with Jesus. Don't let the lesser things get in the way of you committing your life to Jesus Christ. Because that's when we get into trouble, when we elevate things that aren't meant to be elevated. When we put things first that were meant to be tenth. Because Jesus is first. Because he is the way that we have a relationship with God that gives us that enduring, lasting joy. But now he's going to get into why. He's saying, look, look, I view Jesus as so valuable, everything else is garbage, but why? Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? Is Jesus worth more than anything else? Because when I place my faith in Jesus, I receive as a gift his righteousness. Why is that important? Because the God of the universe is perfectly holy and righteous. And if you are not righteous, you cannot be in relationship with him. And again, the good news, the reason I can have joy in my relationship with Jesus is I don't have to earn my righteousness. It is a gift from Jesus. And that gift comes not by working enough hours for Jesus. It is a gift from God by faith. It's a free gift. And here's the thing, going back to our bridge thought. It's not going to fail because it's a gift. If my relationship with God was based on how good I am, every time I earned a good point, 
for doing something good, but I'd also have to earn a negative point every time I did something bad. So let's say it was even possible to get to 100%. Well, then I start taking off negative points for every time I did something wrong. And we know our hearts. (laughs) We know that that is every day. And so here's the thing. If your relationship with God is based on your performance, you live in fear because that relationship is never firm. Because every time you fail, you lose it. But not so when our relationship with God is based on Jesus. Because he never takes that righteousness away from us. And so you don't have to be afraid that you're going to screw up your relationship with God. Guess what? You already did, first of all. But secondly, (laughs) Jesus already fixed it, and when Jesus fixes something, it never breaks again. And so, instead of fearing, you can have joy. Because when Jesus gives you righteousness, he never takes it away. And you're no longer on that Lego bridge. But you're driving across steel and concrete. Why else? Why else can we have, can we have joy through our relationship with Christ? Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. There's a hard verse here. Let's, let's take a little time to talk about it. Let's start at the end. Becoming like him in his death. The Christian life is one of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now I want you to think for a second why that's a good thing. Jesus lived among us, lived a perfect life And we are called to model his life and to live like he lived. And if he was perfect, and if he lived life in a certain way, and he was God himself, he would find joy in that. So living like Jesus is living the joyful life. So when God conforms you to the image of his son, it is to bring you joy. Because that is the only life that brings joy, that Jesus-shaped life. But guess what? That entails when God uses hardship and suffering to knock off your rough edges. So again, back to verse 10. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Sometimes God uses the hard times in your life to make you more like Jesus. And it's like being polished. It's like knocking off the rough edges. And you can have joy even in the hard times because you know that God is using that for your good to bring joy in your life. Lastly, on on this point of 
of, of why, why do we have joy in this relationship? We have, we have joy because of the righteousness that comes by faith that gives us that relationship. We, we have joy in, in becoming more like Jesus, but we also have joy in that through relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives us eternal life. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus have the promise and guarantee of eternal life in paradise. Now, some have a question of what does it mean by that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's the idea. Paul's in jail, remember? And one of the outcomes is that he will be executed. So he's thinking about that. He's not necessarily getting out of jail after he serves a sentence. The end of his sentence may be his death. And what he's saying there, by, by any means possible, what he's saying there is the route to eternal life, I don't know. Whether, I, whether my life ends with my beheading or my life ends through old age or my life ends when Christ returns. Whatever happens, however my life is brought to an end, I have eternal life. Again, there's joy in knowing where you're going to be when your life ends. It takes away that fear. It takes away this doubt, this, this I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, you do know what's going to happen. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, when you die, however that happens, you are ushered into eternal life with the God who created you. Guaranteed. And since Jesus gave it to you, no one's going to take that from you. Again, if this was based on performance, and we had to get to a certain level of points with God to get eternal life, it was like sort of the bonus round if you got enough points, we would never know. But when it's a gift from God through faith in Jesus, you know. And when you know, you can have joy. So you might not know how it's going to happen, but you know when it does, that day, you will see your Savior face to face. In a place where there's no more death, no more wickedness, no more sickness. It's all done and eradicated. Joy can only be found through a relationship with Jesus. Joy can only be found when we have that right relationship with God. And what the Bible says is you can have that right relationship with God and you can have the joy that he has promised when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. When you confess your sins 
and place your trust in Jesus, you have his righteousness. You have eternal life. And since he has given it to you, no one can take it away. And so no matter if you're in jail like Paul, wondering if you're going to get executed the next day, you can have enduring, lasting joy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which teaches us that we don't need to have confidence in how good we are, but that we can have enduring, lasting joy from a real relationship with the God who created us based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we receive by faith. God, that we would place all of our confidence in Christ. And that we would know that through him we are made righteous. That through him we have the hope of eternal life and the gift of heaven. God, we thank you that you've chosen to write the same things to us again and again so that we would know and remember our great salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite those who are helping to serve communion to come forward at this time.